Welcome to Sword and Shield, the official podcast of the 960th Cyberspace Wing. Join us for insight, knowledge, mentorship, and some fun as we discuss relevant topics in and around our wing. Please understand that the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the U.S. Air Force nor the Air Force Reserve, and no endorsement of any particular person or business is ever intended. Welcome back to the Sword and Shield podcast. I'm Colonel Rick Erridge, and today I'm joined by... Casey Erridge. Casey. Mentor. Yes. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is going to be exciting. And so we really want to have a chance to talk about 9-11. And so I think thinking about 20 years ago, where we were, it's hard to believe it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And uh, obviously the world is much changed and very different, um, especially with, with what's going on in the Middle East right now. So it's it's a good opportunity for us to kind of talk about that, tell a story, because there's a lot of airmen right now that don't know anything other than a post 9-11 world. Right. Yeah. And so uh, we want to be able to talk a little bit about that, um, share some thoughts there, and then and then maybe talk about where where we see things in the future and what lessons have we learned from that always support our military members and what's you know what military life's going like after that. So tell me about that day. <laughs> well, it was a it was a beautiful day and I was at work and uh, I worked for the Department of State as contractor in Roslyn, Virginia. And I was working and we had seen something on a TV, something about an attack in New York City that there had been a plane crash and and wasn't really sure what was going on until I got a phone call from you that <laughs> <laughs> that kind of clarified that it was an intentional thing. And then we were trying to figure out what do we do? Yeah. And so for me, um, I remember very vividly being in general Taylor's office. So as a captain headquarters, OSI at the time doing personnel work there, doing a bunch of assignment stuff. And I had to normally schedule a weekly visit with him to go over some officer assignment stuff for him to prove just routine work. I remember sitting there and, on this little tiny TV sitting in the waiting room there by the secretary. And this was, you know, they, obviously the news broke in was going on. And um, I said, what? I just walked to the office and I asked her, I said, what's going on? She said, oh, they said a little airplane just hit the, hit one of the, the towers. I was like, oh, sitting there a little longer. And then it's like, man, am I, are, are we going to meet? Like, and then he comes out and says, Rick, going to cancel the meeting. Go back to your office. Stay there. And I was like, oh, what's going on? By the time I got back down to the office, I learned that second tower was hit and we didn't understand, you know, really what's going on at that time. All these rumors are flying around, obviously, the news about all these other different targets and Andrews was on the list. Well, that's where you were, right? right? I was at Andrews at the time. And so trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, what to do. We're in OSI and uh, we, we all kind of looked around like, hey, where's where's this airman? Like, well, he normally makes a run to the Pentagon. And then we find out the Pentagon gets hit. And we're like, where's the airman? And um, about 10 minutes later, he comes bebopping back in the office. He's got headphones on. He's listening to his Walkman or his iPod, whatever it was. <laughs> Listen to music. He's like, 
what y'all doing? <laughs> Standing around the TV. And um, he had no idea. He had just left the Pentagon doing the daily mail run. And he had no idea what happened. And uh, he was like, whoa. He's like, I was just there. Like, I just walked an hour ago. I just walked through the E-ring over on the Army side, um, picking up the mail. And so um, pretty surreal situation there. And then we were trying to figure out, you know, after the Pentagon, OSI, obviously, um, very involved from an intelligence, counterintelligence perspective. And they, they're trying to figure out what their role is going to be, you know, in, in the events at the Pentagon. And, of course, there's so much unknown going on, craziness. They locked the base down. Those couldn't go anywhere. And then we heard a rumor that a car bomb had gone off where you worked. Yeah, yes. I, I remember you calling me and saying, you need to leave now and i'm like but i can't i can't go i haven't been cleared to leave work everybody's still here you know i and you were very adamant that i should leave work and i was like okay so then i was like trying to talk to my coworkers and figure out what was going on and it was about then that they said everybody just needs to go home but i rode the train all the time you had dropped me off. So I had no way to get home because my train route was past the Pentagon. And so I, I couldn't take the Metro to get back home because the, the train had been shut down. And so I had a coworker that was very kind to offer me a ride. He could get me almost all the way home. And we were about eight, eight miles from where we lived. And that drive took us three hours to get to where I could walk to get home. And then I got home and realized since we always rode together that I did not have a set of house keys with me and was locked out of the house. So I spent the afternoon sitting in the yard, listening to a very, very quiet sky over Washington, D.C., which is very unusual. There was always a lot of air traffic. And at one point I walked down to the Burger King, get something to eat and drink, you know, and I kept trying to call um, our family back in Minnesota to let them know that we were OK. But the the cell towers were all jammed with everybody trying to call. And I couldn't hear from the, the last I had heard from you was that. You were locked on the base. Jacob, who was two at the time, two and a half, was locked on the base with you. And so there was there was nothing I could do. I could just sit there and I couldn't reach family. I couldn't chat with you. And so all I had was my mind to wander <laughs> um, because I just had a flip phone. So I wasn't getting internet and, and social media with what was going on. And I wasn't anywhere where there was a TV. So like I knew. Yeah, that was nothing. before all that stuff. was all, really prominent. All, all I could do was just sit and wait. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that's what I spent the vast majority of the day doing was just sitting and waiting yeah, for they news, finally not, released us. not knowing when you would be released. Yeah. So I remember they released us, I don't know, two, two thirty or something early afternoon. And, uh, like, what are we going to do? Come back tomorrow. Like, yep. Everybody's mission essential. Everybody's back tomorrow. I'm like, I'm a personalist. Like <laughs> I'm mission essential. Yep. Everybody's mission, mission essential. We were in blues every day at the time. Like, I think that's the last time that I wore blues every day. Like, since then, it's been in, you know, some combination of this on a regular basis. Um, 
many of our airmen don't realize that. Like we used to wear blues all the time. That that was a thing. <laughs> um, and so now you know that was uh, that was BDU time prior to ABU, and so uh, it was like, oh crap, I gotta I gotta find because like it was opposite. I had like six sets of blues and one <laughs> one BDU, and now I had to like, oh, it's opposite now. We're going going into this thing where we're wearing fatigues all the time, and so. Yeah, finally it took a long, took us a long time to get home because mm-hmm. I think they said there's like a million to a million and a half people that commute into DC that work in the city. So you can imagine, and they kind of all stream in from five in the morning until eight, right? You imagine them shutting the city down and making everybody leave at the same time. And the Woodrow Wilson Bridge that is today is not what it was then. Like it was a tiny, yeah, like right. four lane bridge and so getting across from andrews back to alexandria um was really hard and so it was uh it was a long ride home yeah for sure yeah um and i remember you telling me the story because i wasn't with you but as you drove across the wilson bridge jacob was on the side of the car where he could see uh the pentagon the fire the the flame the smoke coming out of the pentagon and i recall you um telling me that he had asked you what that was yeah and he's he, he uh i basically said you know when you're older we'll find out <laughs> and we'll talk about that so remember just spending time glued to the tv and watching like trying to understand it and figure out what was going on and and why really confused yeah and and i know i think we realized at a certain point that we had spent way too much time focused on trying to figure out like and follow it and watch what was going on. Because one night we were sitting there and Jacob built a stack of uh, Legos and he had built two huge towers. And then he took his airplane and he smashed the airplane into the towers. And we're instantly like, okay, time to turn the TV off <laughs> and, and, and walk away and like focus on something else because yeah. this, yes, it, we realized how it was impacting him and that he had uh, was, it was doing something like that. Yeah. So for our generation, I mean, it shaped us. It's probably similar to our parents' generation of the Kennedy cessation, maybe where really the first time all that stuff was kind of broadcast live and trying to uh, understand if it makes sense of it was uh, really, really awkward. But I remember like, hey, man, we got to, like they said, the gates can be backed up. We're doing all these searches for the next day. Like, like it's back to work. Like, and I don't remember if you went back to work right away or whether I, you stayed I home a few days. I don't know that I did. I think I stayed home a couple of days. Yeah, because, well, you know, I went back right away. And so I remember show, like leaving the house like three in the morning and yeah. like sitting in line to get in the base for like three or four hours. It was multiple hours. I remember that it took you a long time those first few days yeah, to so, get in and out. So if you've, been, if you've been stopped at the gate for a random anti-terrorism <laughs> measure where you have to pop open everything and they look at everything, can you imagine that for every single vehicle going in the base? Like that's what it was. And uh it was really, really it was just long and stressful and anxious and stuff. And then eventually when you went back to work and Jake was going to daycare on base, like I had to take him with me. So we'd have snacks and breakfast and lunch, <laughs> you know, before, before he, before I even 
dropped it back off at daycare. So it was an interesting time for sure. And of course, OSI, you know, the FBI took lead on the Pentagon. My boss was an OSI agent. He's like, see ya. Like he got called down the Pentagon. I didn't see him for six months and he was down there working. And so just life changed, you know, in an instant. Yeah. And I, and the one thing that that I remember was that, you know, we hadn't been in Washington, D.C. all that long. We had arrived in Washington, D.C. in February of of that year yeah, about of 2001. So we hadn't been there all that long. Um, we had been downtown, but there was a, a ton of events that we were so excited to be in town and live there and be able to see like the Christmas tree lighting and the Easter egg roll and all that stuff. And White House tours. And the White House, the tour of the White House and, and all that like stopped and having you in OSI, like I'm, I'd be like, well, I think we should, I'd like to do this. And you're like, I've seen a briefing. I can't tell you the details, <laughs> but we're not going there. And I'm like, <laughs> so I left when we, when we left Washington, DC, I was sad to have done so solely because there were so many things that I had hoped to take advantage of while we were there that we didn't get yeah. to do. Yeah, we did get to do one, I think, right before we left. And we go to the um, lighting of the Christmas tree one year. We yes, right before we left. Right before we we left. did yeah. we did go down and, and do a Christmas tree lighting. Um yeah, but it was, so we kind of stayed back on the outskirts. We didn't get into the middle of the crowd yeah. and <laughs> Yeah, so now I look back on it and you know, we we obviously went way to the right on you know, protection because we didn't understand what the threat was and stuff. You look back now and kind of like, well, why did we do all that stuff? But at the time, we were worried about other things happening. Right. And so, um, we had this seared in our memory for sure that we didn't want to, you know, didn't, didn't want something like that to happen again to us. So, right. um, but you know, I was talking to Sam here before and, um, you mentioned like these airmen that are coming in now that are 18, 19, 20, don't know what life was like prior to having, uh, prior to nine 11 and like going to a baseball game without having to go through a metal detector. Like now I don't even think about it, but you imagine back then where the, that was the norm. Like we just walked right in, walked right in. You didn't have to right. worry about what was in your purse. No, didn't have you to could have, have any bag. size purse. You, you didn't it generally baby wasn't bag, expected. a purse. It, yeah. You could go through the airports with as much liquids as you wanted to. Right. Um, you could go to the gate and like pick greet, up people greet and, visitors as soon as they came off of the plane, instead of waiting until they got, to baggage claim yeah. or and not having to be shooed away at the airport by somebody as you're waiting to pick them up. You don't have to wait in the cell phone lot. Right. Like all these things are the world's just so different right now. And, um, and there's probably been, you know, some good things that have happened as well. Right. Um, I think the, the international, um, intelligence community certainly has come together. We've, we've, we learned our lesson from that for sure. We're trying to apply those lessons in cyber now. And so it's, I just came back from CyberCon Reserve Summit last week and it was super interesting to see how all uh, the interagency is working together with us, you know, to solve problems and, and get after our threats. And, and we would not be where we are today without, unfortunately, that happening. We're nowhere near where we need to be, but certainly a lot of the walls and barriers are down now to, you know, to, to give us an opportunity to be um, better as a community against, you know, national security threats. And so I know for us, well, I don't want to speak for you, but for me, <laughs> um, 
the DC life was really hard. Yeah, it was hard. And especially after that, you know, I don't, I don't know that we didn't really meet people that were around us a lot. And, and, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of things because everything got locked down. I mean, for the longest time, you could a little bit go, like the pandemic, <laughs> kind of like the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't get into the, any of the Smithsonian's, you couldn't get into the white house. You, you know, you, you just weren't going big anywhere. Big public, big, big public events weren't being held. Yeah, it was, it is, it's, it is kind of a lot like, like the pandemic. Yeah. So we had to find other activities to do. And I know we went to the mountains and, took trips and tried to find some other activities. But I think we decided that we we're going to, well, that's when we joined the reserve Yeah, a couple years later. Yeah. And so we, we took the opportunity to join the reserve after that. I don't, I don't want to say it's cause 9-11, but there was a time where we were going to like, maybe this was it. Last assignment, get out, go do something else, you know, do something in industry, move back, uh, move back home. And it, at least for me, you know, it helped, helped me make that decision to continue okay. to serve. Well, and I think I think there was a period of time there, too, where Jake was almost an only child because I'm like, how can we bring more children into this <laughs> world with as crazy as it is? And then, you know, we got four or five years um, post 9-11 and I'm like, oh, but he's going to be lonely, <laughs> you know, kind of forgetting about that. I had said all that craziness and, and I, I didn't want to do that. Then I thought about him being lonely. And so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just a. Crazy time. Yeah. And I think the operational temple has significantly changed, obviously, from from then. I mean, I remember before, like you're talking deployment, very few people ever deployed. Obviously, post 9-11, everybody's got most people got multiple deployments. And, and now we're starting to wean those down as well with what's going on currently in the world and the shift in our national security strategy. But it completely shaped an entire generation of, you know, people and families and how we handle deployments and where people are going and, you know, burn people out. I mean, there's people, there's special operators that done six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 deployments and what that toll has done, you know, to them and the family. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think back and, and I don't, I think there were some trials of the key spouse program going on around that time, but the key spouse program didn't really exist in its current state then but it sure would have been nice to have it then <laughs> to have uh, you know to to be checked on to see how everybody's going and have that have that network you know kind of like we have now where when things are happening we can we can call and check and and that's definitely a time that i think back to man that would have been nice <laughs> at that time to have that 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 network of other spouses that are going through the same thing and not knowing yeah, just connect, what was connecting on. with people and, yeah. and kind of like, you know, the pandemic here, we've, I think that's another lesson we learned, like connecting with people is really important and, and giving them an opportunity to talk and listen and, and just be engaged about their concerns and feelings and making sure the units co like, I feel much more connected to my unit in the past since post 9-11 than I did the first, you know, seven, eight years prior to that. It was, it was a little bit just, just different. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. And so um, hopefully we continue to learn from these lessons and, and move forward with how we, you know, treat people and stay connected. And mission-wise, certainly want to never forget, you know, what happened and the lessons we learned from that and take that into our everyday lives. And we're just not going back on some of those things. Like you're not going to be able to go to baseball game or football game 
without going metal detectors ever again. And so I think we just accept that, move on and take what the take the best of it and and get rid of the worst of it and continue to press on. But um, it's interesting, you know, looking at our kids, knowing that they don't know any different and they're they're doing fine. So, <laughs> well, maybe doing fine <laughs> in our case. <sighs> any closing comments or thoughts? No, I I, I guess um, it was a, a really trying time just being so unsure of what was happening and how long things were going to last and nobody really had any ideas and and I really didn't connect it to kind of what's been going on with the COVID until you brought it up but it is very similar situation and and um you know we get we managed to get through that and and I'm sure we'll we'll get through this um and it's going to be it it is trying you know everybody we thought it was improving and now kind of got a little setback and but I know we'll get through it and just like we did that and we'll learn some lessons and um we'll move on yeah you know there's fear anxiety depression hopefully we see a little bit of come together as a community to try to solve this and attack it and not let it you know completely destroy who we are as a culture and just around the world and making sure people have opportunities to um and access to the health care they need and that we're we're taking these lessons really learned and, you know, not having another pandemic. And so I, I, you know, I remember being at the VA, we were doing, when I was working there, we're doing um, pandemic flu planning. This is back 2006, 2007, 2008, nine. Like what happened to all that? Like we just forgot that and lost that muscle movement. And uh, we can't do that. We got to continue to get better and certainly take care of our families and our units the best we can. So. I appreciate everybody listening. I think this is, uh, has been a good discussion. Thanks for your time, Case. You're welcome. There'll be more to follow. Um, from, I think we have another podcast coming. It's going to talk about some more stories uh, about their 9-11 experiences as well. So thanks again for listening. And until next time. <laughs>